0: Welcome everybody to the Snark Knights Podcast. Podcast where we're talking about comic book movies. I am your co-host, Snark Knight Luke, and with me as always. Super Jahan. Does that make me Nuclear Luke? Nuclear Man? Nuclear Man, there we go. Yeah. So, to open this up on just a bit of a downer, I just want to save this. When this goes up about a year ago. A really good friend of mine who touched tons of people in the Milwaukee area named Damian Jones passed away. Um, I only knew him for about a year and a half, so I'm not going to pretend like he was this huge part of my life forever. But he was the type of guy who felt like he was a huge part of your life forever if you just met him. We had a podcast previous to this had a webpage and stuff that I wrote for, and he helped me maintain a big part of it, and he inspired me to do this podcast. And so I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for him. And every day, something in this world seems to remind me of him, and I just just miss him, and I'm super thankful. So yeah, just thank you, Damien. Everybody misses you. So, on an upswing! (laughs) We watched Superman
1: 4. You've never seen this. Are you angry? Nor would I have. <laughs> right. Actually, I think because I heard so many bad things, it was better than I thought. It, it was the Swamp Thing 2 effect, if you will. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's bad. But uh, I feel like until Nuclear Man really becomes a big part of the movie in the third act, it actually wasn't the worst thing ever. Yeah. Then it becomes the worst thing ever.
0: Yeah, it gets a little crazy, so let's talk about that. Ready for the breakdown? Let's do it. Okay, we are talking about 1987's Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. Uh, directed by Sidney Fury and starring Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, John Cryer, Sam Wanamaker... Mark Pillow, Mariel Hemingway, Marco Kidder, Damian McLawhorn, William Hootkins, Jim Broadbent, and Stanley Leber. Poor Jim Broadbent. I didn't recognize him. And then yesterday when I finally opened up IMDB, so I just got a preview of how I would be reading this, I saw Jim Broadbent and I was like, what? Also, William Hootkins. Is Porkins from the first Star Wars movie. Wow. Nice. He's also the head detective in 1989 Batman. Huh. Like Harvey Bullocky? Yeah, the Harvey Bullocky guy who isn't Harvey Bullock. But yeah, that's what I recognized him as. And so it, like, I went to his IMDb to make sure that that was him. And then there's pictures of Porkins. So it's like, holy crap, he's Porkins too.
1: That's a pretty great career. Yeah. Well, run this movie down for us. That's actually not a terrible cast. But what did they have to work with?
0: Sure thing. High above the Earth, a cosmonaut is completing repairs on a Soviet space station when it is struck by some debris. But fortunately, Superman shows up to right the station and retrieve the cosmonaut. His random good deed done, Superman returns to Earth and to the Kent farm where he retrieves Chekhov's Kryptonian energy crystal from the ship that brought him to Earth. The ship dissolves just as an old family friend shows up to try and convince Clark to sell the farm to some mall developers because a mall in the middle of nowhere is always a great investment. At a prison work site, Lex Luthor is freed when his nephew Lenny shows up and totally not murders the guards. Superman shows up again to stop a subway train that went out of control when the conductor had a heart attack. Superman flies off and Clark arrives late to the Daily Planet where it's being revealed the paper is now under new ownership by the tabloid tycoon David Warfield. Warfield's first act is to fire Perry White and install his daughter Lacey as the new chief editor. Clark speaks to Lacey to express his concern over the paper foregoing the truth for the sake of deceptive, flamboyant headlines. The genuine good nature of Clark charms Lacey, who asks Lois about Clark, and the two carry on a conversation that puts the Bechdel test through the shredder. On a television, the President of the United States says something about some sort of summit failing, and apparently it will have some pretty terrible consequences that we will never hear about outside of it having something to do with nuclear weapons. And because of it, a schoolboy writes a letter to Superman asking him to just take everyone's nuclear toys away. This troubles the Man of Steel, who goes to speak with the elders of Krypton. The old white dudes tell him to just leave the planet and find somewhere else to live. (laughs) But Clark's not sure yet, and has a talk with Lois, where he reveals that he is Superman, flies her back and forth across the country at impossible speeds, before kissing her to erase her memory of it all again.
1: Resolved,
0: Kal-El marches down 42nd Street to the UN building to address the gathered representatives, and tell them he would indeed take all their toys away to thunderous applause. And so, all the nations fire their missiles into space, where Superman gathers them into a giant net and throws them into the sun. As one does. As one does. On Earth, Lex Luthor has gathered some arms dealers and whatnot to propose a scheme to kill Superman and open the market to rearm every nation that can afford it. His plan to create a being powered by solar radiation that will be able to poison Superman. Too bad Superman isn't powered by solar radiation. So, Lex sneaks a box filled with protomatter mixed with Superman's own DNA onto a missile, but then also for some reason causes confusion with its launch so that Superman would catch it and throw it into the sun, which is 100% what he would have done if the missile had just been launched like normal. Anyways, the missile hits the sun, and the protomatter flies back to Earth, morphing into the nuclear man. This creature somehow isn't putting off a shit ton of nuclear radiation, and goes to meet his father Lex, where he displays some of his nuclear powers, like wind or telekinesis or something. He also displays his weakness of powering all the way down if he's ever in the shade. Lacey has been courting Clark under the guise of writing articles he is absolutely not suited for, rather than just asking him out on a date. That is, until she finally does. More specifically, a double date with Lois and Superman that Clark agrees to for some reason. He zips back and forth between his two identities, never giving either woman his full attention, right up until Lex gives our third callback to the first movie, and broadcasts a warning only Superman can hear. Superman bails on his dates to go to Luther's apartment, where he comes face-to-face with Nuclear Man. The two fly around playing crab-ass instead of just fighting, including going to China, where it's mid-afternoon, just like it is back in Metropolis, New York. Yay, flat-earth physics! A bunch of nonsensical powers are displayed between both of them for a while, before Nuclear Man picks up the Statue of Liberty, and drops it on the city. As Supes catches the Emerald Beauty and flies her back home, Nuclear Man finally achieves his goal and scratches Superman. And, immediately, papers start claiming Superman is dead, and Lois is pissed, even though the headline actually has a question mark making it an incredibly reasonable headline. Coincidentally, no one has seen or heard from Clark in a few days, so Lois goes to check in on him in his apartment where she acts like it's weird that he's there and she knew he would be. She also gives him a little pep talk, and when she leaves, Clark crawls out to where he's hidden Chekhov's Kryptonian energy crystal and presumably uses it to heal himself. Nuclear Man wakes up and sees a picture of Lacey on the cover of the Daily Planet and flies off. He lands on a random street and starts wrecking stuff. Oh, and... Superman is there, with absolutely no one reacting to his being alive. Nuclear Man asks where the woman is, and surprisingly, Superman knows what the hell he's talking about. The Man of Steel pleads for Nuclear Man to stop his rampage, promising to take him to the woman. Supes calmly walks into the building and into an elevator, and for some reason, Nuclear Man freaks out and flies up through the floors and... back into Lex Luthor's apartment? Anyways... Superman tricks Nuclear Man into the elevator, where he closes the doors, rendering Nuclear Man completely useless. Superman drags the elevator to the moon, and just drops it in a random spot, rather than specifically on the dark side of the moon. Sunlight hits the box and gets through the door crack, and Nuclear Man wakes up. The two fight on the moon for a while, before Nuclear Man flies to Earth to get Lacey and... bring her into space? Superman pushes the entire moon to block the sun, causing Nuclear Man to again shut down, as well as drop Lacey. But Superman catches her, and then flings Nuclear Man into a terrifyingly open nuclear reactor, which works in finally stopping him. Some random wrap-ups. Perry White buys back the Daily Planet. Superman recaptures Lex, returning him to the prison work site rather than an actual prison, and drops Lenny off at a boy's town. Lacey never appears again, and Superman gives a speech that actually doesn't really connect to the events we've just seen in this movie. The end. What. A. Story. Yeah, that third act. Oh, So, you got a more succinct
1: breakdown of what we watched? Well, I thought that it might Serve our listeners more if instead of trying to break the story down, I just kind of examined its legacy. Ooh, okay. So in 1978, a film called Superman came out to massive critical and commercial success. It changed the face of blockbusters forever and was the trailblazer for a genre that is now ubiquitous in our multiplexes. Mm-hmm. Then, two Superman movies later, in 1987, from the people who brought you pretty much every cheesy B-movie action flick of the 80s and turned Jean-Claude Van Damme into a household name, we got Superman 4, the quest for peace. And the film that ensured future blockbusters would mostly stick to trilogies. But Superman 4 also had quite a legacy. Just like how the first Superman was the godfather to future comic book and origin story movies, this movie also served as an influence to future comic book films. It might have been in a less noticeable or big picture way, but I looked into it, and you can draw a line from this movie to scenes in future films. Like in Aquaman, when Aquaman rescues Russian naval troops, it's just like the way Superman rescued the Russian cosmonauts. Ah. Both of them even cracked a joke in the doorway as they did so. There was a dumb workout scene that made Clark look as goofy as Peter Parker during his emo strut scene in Spider-Man 3. (laughs) There's an out-of-place and mostly pointless third-act villain whose main power is bad special effects. Just like in Batman v Superman. And Superman 4's legacy isn't just restricted to comic book movies. The Superman slash Clark Kent double date shenanigans are a direct inspiration for the Mrs. Doubtfire restaurant scene. (laughs) So all of our snark aside, all of our ribbing and our jokes aside, I think it's important that we take a step back and really appreciate the long lifespan and legacy of Superman 4 A Quest for Peace. The only legacy it failed to achieve is nuclear disarmament. Wow. So, yeah, I, I want to mention my brother came up with one, but his was just Superman 4, a canon film. The people who basically created the template for cheesy 80s movie made this movie, and it somehow managed to elude the worst aspects of that stereotype, but uh, the production values are pretty much the same. Yeah.
0: Uh, for anybody who isn't familiar with canon, and I hesitate to recommend this documentary now that I know who produced it, and that would be Walking PR Nightmare, Brett Ratner.
1: Oh, no. I know what documentary you're talking about, and I really liked it, so that's a shame. It's but... a really
0: good documentary called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I suggest anybody who's interested in knowing how this movie happened watch that documentary cuz otherwise we could spend at least half this podcast talking about how this movie happened just because it's a canon
1: film. Mhm. I guess the TLDR version of it for all of y'all who might not have the chance to see that documentary anytime soon is basically Canon Films they made a name for themselves by churning out movies, dozens of movies at a time were in production, all of which were made on a tiny budget. Uh, in the hopes that one or two of them per year would end up making enough money to cover all of their spending. Uh, yeah. So any Jean-Claude Van Damme movie from the 80s that you can think of is one of the movies that likely ended up making the money for them that then funded all of their other movies. Mm-hmm. And Superman Four, despite its pedigree, was no exception because they had a tiny budget, and, uh, well, the product speaks for itself.
0: Yeah. Get used to that Superman flying at the camera footage, because they use the
1: shit out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even that mad, because it's the best shot they have of Superman flying. (laughs) The rest of it looks way worse than the first movie, which came out about a decade before this one. Yeah. Ugh. So, as the movie was starting, I immediately started wanting
0: to nitpick, because... How does Superman know that the cosmonauts are in trouble? They're in space. Sound doesn't travel in space. And I can't wait till we get to Superman 2 and or 3 to figure out if everybody who isn't Clark or someone from Earth says Krypton.
1: Because we get the voice of his mother
0: saying Krypton.
1: Well, they kind of had to. It's precedent at this point. (laughs) God, I love that. And... Analysis of Clark
0: being the only person from his planet, and he pronounces it wrong, and therefore everybody else pronounces it wrong.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Krypton, I loved when the mm-hmm. Council of Krypton popped up in his Fortress of Solitude decision-making process. Mm-hmm. It's just really funny that these are all dead people's projections too. But yeah, the people from the planet that kerploded basically recommend he get off the planet before it kerplodes. Yeah. Like, these guys just don't learn. Yeah. (laughs) Go figure the old white dudes don't believe in climate change until it's too late.
0: (laughs) Or, you know,
1: trying to
0: fix things when you can. Yeah. I mean, they sort of have a point. I mean, the, the crux that Superman is wrestling with is we find out that some sort of summit failed. And now all of the nuclear power nations. They're all on the brink. Yeah, they're starting to really, like, ramp up their dick-measuring about nuclear weapons. And this was actually something that uh, Christopher Reeve really believed in, the disarmament of nuclear weapons.
1: Yeah, he also a—he has a story credit for the screenplay. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, it's fine. It's a good problem for Superman to struggle with, because mm-hmm. he is a god and we are ants. And the second he does something like, taking all the nuclear weapons, that's him actually acting like a god. And that's problematic.
1: It's sort of the delegate versus trustee thing that some of you might have learned about in civics class, where when you elect someone, they either function as a delegate, which means that they hold the views that the majority of their constituents hold, or they're a trustee, which means that they are someone that constituents have decided is either wise enough or intelligent enough or savvy enough to make decisions on their behalf. And Mm -hmm. Superman, for the most part, functioned as a delegate, never overstepping governments, never trying to break the rules just to do the right thing. He would always abide Mm -hmm. by the law, basically a Boy Scout, as he's been called so many times. Um, And it's fascinating to see a Superman live-action film in which he decides that it might be better to act as a trustee because that's a dilemma that comes up in comics a lot, and it's very compelling, but not so much in live-action Superman... Comic book movies generally, really. Um yeah. It was a fascinating conflict to throw into this.
0: Yeah, at least it was a conflict. Kid sent him a letter, and
1: he didn't just say, Oh,
0: hey, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to
1: go do that. Yeah, he agonized over it for a while. Yeah. So,
0: random notes to roll back to on... I. I enjoyed Clark talking to the guy trying to convince him to sell his farm, as I said, to mall developers in the middle of nowhere. There's a crib sitting in the yard with the base. There's a hole punched through it. And the guy says, I remember your dad was a prankster and said, you kicked that hole in there. We established that Clark was easily somewhere between like four and five when he landed. He was walking around when they met him. Yeah, total nitpick, I know. So let's visit our old friend Lex Luthor, shall we? Welcome back, Lex. Welcome back, Lex.
1: And Gene Hackman bringing his A-game. Yeah, I truly cannot begin to fathom how, why, when, what series of events led (laughs) to Gene Hackman returning to appear in this film. Someone on the production team pulled that off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hackman wasn't in Superman three. So this was him coming back to the role. It wasn't like he did one, two, three. And it's like, Oh, I might as well do the next one. Right. No, no
1: contractual obligation, but
0: they got him.
1: Yeah. He actively agreed to be in this, which I guess now I'm just conspiracy theorizing, but I have to imagine he was blackmailed. There's no way a human being (laughs) of his stature would agree to do this. Otherwise, who knows? But, again, yeah. I I really have to applaud whoever was in charge of this.
0: Yeah. As always, Gene Hackman, no matter what we may think of him as a person, no matter what we may think
1: of the movies he's in, he brings his A-game. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he is not the only Luther in this movie. No.
0: Okay, so John Cryer plays his nephew, Lenny, yes. who is
1: cliche late 80s chucklehead. He's an extra from an '80s music video, in appearance and personality. Yeah, still an early movie for him. He's fine. It, the character is what it is. I think he John Cryer as Lenny has some pretty good line deliveries. Yes, uh, it's just the the presentation is just terrible. Yes, which is kind of interesting because Otis Otis and Lenny were both comic relief, and both of them in their appearance and personality were supposed to they're supposed to kind of personify an era so otis was a throwback he helped to ground the film in the historical era that the superman character was invented in whereas lenny's kind of the attempt to ground it in modern times the downside is they went with all the excess of the era instead of making it kind of tongue-in-cheek like otis was but yeah that that being said i appreciate how polite lenny is He's always yeah. in the background serving drinks to guests. <laughs> he hands Superman a glass of champagne at one point. It, he's he's a nice kid.
0: Yeah, and to give everyone an idea of what he sounds like, his lines of dialogue are basically like, ha, 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 "All right, Uncle Lex."
1: He calls Superman "Dude of Steel." Yes. So yeah. Side note: Anytime I say,
0: for some reason, the answer is usually just, "It's a canon film." Anyways, for some reason, he tricks the only two guards on the site into his car, drives the car full speed off a cliff. We hear it explode off camera, and then we see the guards climbing out of the rock quarry where the car landed because somehow they survived.
1: My first thought was, oh, it's a family film. You can't yeah. you know, kill off cops. But in the first movie, Lex Luthor personally makes sure two cops are murdered in a subway yeah. tunnel. Uh-huh.
0: So then we get the subway scene. Clark is running late, so he isn't on the train, but Lewis is. And the conductor has a heart attack, so he slumps forward and pushes the throttle. And so Clark changes into Superman, flies after it. They show him flying out of a tunnel, and the platform is full of people, none of whom look up. Despite the fact that, air quote, Superman is flying past them. It's hilarious because it seems like it's just stock footage from something. Clearly, nobody said, okay, we're filming. And here comes Superman. Here comes Superman. Quickly look to your right as if Superman flew past you. Nothing. They're just standing there. Mm -hmm. I actually appreciate how he stopped the train. It's pretty clever. He steps on the third rail to short out the flow of electricity to the train. Smart. The least amount of collateral damage. Yeah. And that's where we get our first callback to the first movie, yeah, where where Superman saves an airplane and says, you know, I just want people to know that this is still our safest form of travel. And here he stops the subway and says to the people there, I just want to reassure everybody that our subway system is our safest form of travel. Yep. Yep. Public transit, baby. Superman's all for it. (laughs) Yeah. And Clark predictably is late to a meeting and we get a nice, pointless subplot of the paper being bought out by Warfield putting his daughter in charge and his daughter immediately having a thing for Clark.
1: Yeah, like you said, immediately failing the Bechdel test.
0: Yeah, she immediately asks Lois, hey, what's the deal with that Clark guy? And Lois immediately launches into, oh, he wouldn't be into you than
1: Lacey saying, oh, everybody likes me. It also is a shame that the newspaper being bought out subplot didn't really go anywhere because it is an interesting idea to explore. And it would have been interesting to see them kind of have to figure out a problem that Superman can't punch. But Mm -hmm. it just kind of peters out into forcing a love interest between Superman and Lacey, or I guess Clark and Lacey. And then all of the dilemma caused by the paper being bought out is just completely undermined at the end when apparently all they had to do was just get some extra money to buy the paper before warfields could come into possession of it (laughs) even though he's already in possession of it yeah it doesn't go anywhere sort of like how in anchorman 2 the whole point was about criticizing the rise of 24-hour media (laughs) and then at the end when they get to the point where they actually have to make the point about 24-hour media they just say it sucks and then leave the studio (laughs) so hey there's another movie that this directly referenced i forgot about more or less i gotta say that kid uh jeremy he's a real douche nozzle he's just (laughs) he was he was such a friggin sass mouth to his teacher to every adult he interacted with he's always getting fresh (laughs) oh wow
0: so this is going to be the first time i dip into this I watched this. Uh, there's a there's actually a local video rental store near me that I try to use whenever there's a movie that I don't already have. Just, you know, support local businesses and whatnot. And this is actually in northwestern Milwaukee, technically Menominee Falls. It is simply called Movie Man's. Movie Man apostrophe S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in Menominee Falls on Appleton Avenue. So yeah, I rented a hard copy of this. Partially because the only place to rent this online is YouTube. That's where I rented it from. Yeah, because DC recently launched their own streaming service. So pretty much all of their movies are as exclusive to them as possible. There are some that are
1: still out there. Like I said, this is on YouTube. I believe HBO has a few of them due to their Warner Brothers connection. Yeah. So yeah, so
0: I rented a hard copy of this and it had deleted scenes. So, all of a sudden, Jeremy shows up in Metropolis. I mean, he's brought there by Mr. Warfield to say...
1: Yeah, this little bitch is brought out to Metropolis. (laughs) Uh, So,
0: to a little press conference, Jeremy says, I just want to know why Superman said no. Mm -hmm. Now, from our perspective, Clark Kent got the letter, and that's it. And then Jeremy's there making this announcement to the press. Superman never said no. He more or less said nothing. There is legitimately a fully filmed, edited scene of Superman flying to the school to talk to Jeremy and say, I'm sorry, I can't do oh, this. Wow. I can't do this because that's crossing a line. So he does say no, Huh. That's but big. they cut it. I have no idea why they cut it, but that's one of three. Be prepared. So, also Superman... He goes to talk to the elders of Krypton, but he's still not set on it. And Lois comes over because they have some sort of fancy dinner to go to. And Clark reveals that he's Superman. They fly to San Francisco and back. So that ridiculousness aside, he erases her memory again. How many times has he done this to her?
1: It's also really frustrating because there was such a good emotional payoff in that scene. A sort of conclusion to an arc that took four films to develop and the actors are still perfectly cast they both aged well they still fit their roles Mm -hmm. their chemistries it's even better than it was the first time but all of that payoff is then immediately wiped out really frustrating
0: yes anytime superman has like some sort of crisis of faith he reveals himself to lois has a nice fly with her
1: and then erases her memory And made even worse by that double date happened like half an hour later. Yes. So with his resolve,
0: Superman goes to the UN building and boy, are they in New York.
1: Not some random English street. The funniest thing about the sets and location stuff is that they rebuilt the family farm set in England, even though the original set was still in place Mm -hmm. from the first movie's locations in Canada. cannon Cannon. oh god so much money got wasted on this movie which is sad considering how cheap it all came out looking um
0: so superman's in front of the entire gathered un and you know he says i'm going to get rid of all of your nuclear weapons for you and everybody immediately stands up and claps that is so idealistic i was like
1: where's the american delegate
0: (laughs) just looking around yeah i did math in this episode Oh, no. So, everybody launches their missiles into space. Superman catches them, puts them in a net, swings the net around like a hammer in the Olympics, flings it into the sun, direct it. From, from Earth orbit, he doesn't fly closer to the sun. <laughs> Which is what makes me able to do math, because I took an astronomy class once. There is a unit of measurement called an AU, astronomical unit. 1AU is the average distance between the sun and the earth. 1AU is 92,955,807 miles. The time from when Superman lets go of the gathered nuclear weapons to the time it hits the sun is 13.76 seconds. That means he flung that entire group of rockets at... 6,755,509 fifty-five five hundred
1: and nine miles per second. Sounds about right. Math! I'm surprised the missiles didn't vaporize being flung that fast before they hit the sun. Right? I could only suspend my disbelief for so much. But that brings Lex back into the picture,
0: and he's promising a being with the power of the sun. I don't know what he's basing that on. It's a pretty strong assumption.
1: Yeah, a lot of the physiology in this movie just Seems a little too convenient. Yeah. And also, he says he will be powered by the sun. Superman is also powered by the sun. Yeah. I think they were trying to do like a bizarro thing, sort of a (gasps) nega Superman, just similar powers, but different personality, whatever it was. But they kind of went down that path and then they just seemed to give up on making it interesting.
0: Want to have your mind blown again? Yeah, sure. There was a first nuclear man who was basically bizarro.
1: Oh, my God!
0: Now, this wasn't one of the three deleted scenes I mentioned because the uh. three that i the three that I mentioned before all fix a problem with the story. This is just bonkers, so Lex's first attempt to make a nuclear man, he does it simply in his apartment. It's a naked man with a pie plate over his junk. Uh, okay. Talks like a giant baby, so they're clearly going for some sort of bizarro thing. There are at least two scenes of this on the DVD. There's clearly more, which means there's this entire huge subplot involving another super character. Gene Hackman, playing it completely straight, bringing his a-game because there's nothing about these scenes objectively not bad easily
1: thousands of dollars spent on these few scenes cut completely from the movie wow see that's bizarre because you would think that if canon paid for something they'd just shove it in the movie yeah it's not a super long movie either no and now that we're talking about nuclear man i wanted to point out that a lot of the fighting between superman and nuclear man it happens very slowly Yes. And it's it's not that they're fighting in slow motion, like literally the effect of slow motion, like bullet time from The Matrix or Mm-mm. you know what we see in every Zack Snyder movie. It's just the actors are moving slowly. Everything is so ponderous and calculated, whether they're flying or they're grappling. It's just surreal to watch it unfold. And mm. I don't know if in the editing room they decided against speeding things up, but I don't know, it just it kills the flow of the third act in a lot of ways. And it turns the action scenes into the most boring part of a Superman movie, but I have to imagine there were other scenes and clearly there were scenes that were not only filmed, but edited and went through the full post-production process that could have padded out the runtime. Mm -hmm. So the fact that all the fights are as slow as they are after the fact is clearly a choice. And that choice might be the weirdest one made in the entirety of this film. Yeah. I'm not even (laughs) mad about it, really. I'm just so befuddled. Yeah, that's a good way to describe most of the movie. Yeah. So for
0: Nuclear Man, I enjoy the touch of his voice, his chest, Gene Hackman's voice. Yeah. It was just a nice touch. But what isn't a nice touch is he powers down when he's in the shade. Now, I will say, I like his
1: look. Other than the weirdly long nails, yes, which for reasons that I'm going to attribute solely to cocaine, (laughs) which they thought would be a cool thing to focus on many times. No, all I could think of is the Family Guy episode where
0: they all get superpowers, but Meg only has the powers to make her fingernails slightly longer than they were. Yeah. But why in the world would
1: Clark agree to this double date? I almost forgot that he wiped Lois's memory. So when it started, I was like, oh, (laughs) this is like a clever plan they have to make Lacey think that Clark and Superman are totally different people. It would have
0: worked so great if it was. Yeah. Imagine how charming the interactions between Lois and Superman would be if she was in on it.
1: Just a wasted opportunity for what? Just some shenanigans?
0: Yes. It sort of reminds me that Kevin Smith wrote a Superman script. It's out there, Mm -hmm. you can read it, and there's a very charming scene where, very early in the movie, Superman shows up at the Daily Planet, everybody's gone, Lois is working late alone, and her and Superman are kind of flirting, and she sort of starts teasing Superman about Clark, and then we find out that she knows he's Clark, this is just a game that they have, and it is super charming and super cute, and that's exactly what this scene could have been. Yeah, But that leads to another callback of Lex Luthor using a super frequency to talk to Superman
1: and also appear on a digital billboard. It was also funny that they must have known that Superman's Clark somehow because they do this while he's at work. <laughs> yes. Because they tell him to look at a specific building from the window that he's at. Huh, I missed that part.
0: So, and that leads to the first meeting of Superman and Nuclear Man and Lenny giving Superman a glass of champagne. He's a good kid. Good he kid. means well. Yeah. Just needs a role model. Yes. And that leads to a fight between Superman and Nuclear Man, but it's mostly them just flying and sort of bumping into each other. And they go straight to China and destroy a big chunk of the Great Wall of China. And then Superman fixes it by looking at it and then flies off again.
1: His newest power of telekinesis. Time reversal vision, because that's actually what it looks like. Yeah, that was, I think, the most frustrating effect of the movie for me. Yeah. It's not the worst one. Like, them flying through space and very slowly punching each other looks way worse. It was just kind of a... It was a big fuck you to the audience that they did it like that. Yeah. It was just so lazy. Yeah. And then Superman gets scratched, and he does get sick,
0: so Lex was right. Mm Mm-hmm. So then the fight's sort of over. Nuclear man scratches him and kicks him, and then... That's it. His cape falls off and that leads to the headline: Superman dead? Question mark. Super anticlimactic and just not a good fight. They're flying around with the Statue of Liberty. It just (laughs) looks really bad. Yeah, this movie does not deserve to have the World Trade Center in it. I Um, really
1: hope our next movie doesn't also continue this now two movies in a row thing of us seeing the World Trade Center. Yeah. So Lois goes to Clark. Clark looks like shit. He looks like he has the flu. He's Weak and sweaty. Yeah. She just sits down and starts monologuing. And it leads to him crawling out to find where he hid the
0: power crystal from Krypton. And then he's better. The Deus Ex Machina crystal. Yes. So, Nuclear Man shows up again. He sees a picture of Lacey, sees a picture of her on the cover of the Daily Planet, and he flies downtown and starts screaming about, Where's the woman? And for some reason, Superman knows what he's talking about. Deleted scene number two. Originally, he wakes up, sees the paper, goes to the Daily Planet, kidnaps her, brings her back to Lex Luthor's lair, Superman shows up, they fly off and have like a little bit of a fight. He gets Nuclear Man distracted enough to hide Lacey, and then
1: that's where this scene picks up. So Superman definitely would know where Lacey is because he hid her. Hmm. That's another one that doesn't make sense to cut. Yeah, it's fully finished. Of the three that I'm going to mention throughout the whole thing,
0: it's the longest of them. It has the most cuts and scene changes, but we
1: also get some nice interaction between Lex Luthor and Lacey. This is legitimately a plot hole. Yeah. It's like how the lady who testifies against Superman to the Senate in Batman v Superman, she (laughs) was actually paid by Lex Luthor to give false testimony. Mm -hmm. And they cut that out for the theatrical cut going to get into a whole defense or criticism of the movie but there's some stuff that they cut out that probably should have stayed in literally so it would make sense mm-hmm. and in this a much shorter film they mm-hmm. did the same thing i if this and the last scene that i'll mention if those
0: three scenes were put back in this movie would maybe be an hour 45 hour 50 instead of a solid hour and a half yeah big deal nuclear man leaves lex's apartment lands in front of Lex's apartment, starts wrecking shit, then Superman leads him back up to Lex's apartment. It's bonkers. But, I mean, it's a good trap. Superman putting Nuclear Man into the elevator. He grabs the elevator, flies it to the moon. Yep. Leads to slow motion fighting. Yep, that's the level of production value that went into their space stuff. Why not fling the elevator into the outer solar system? It's a good question. But no... The sun rises, and then Nuclear Man flies back to Earth to kidnap Lacey. So right before Nuclear Man kidnaps Lacey again, the setup is Lacey standing up to her father about the type of journalism he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Nuclear Man grabs Lacey and flies off with her into space. Yeah, that broke it. Not just upper atmosphere. They're in goddamn space. Yeah, Lacey's dead. Yeah, Lacey's dead. Then Superman pushes the moon out of its orbit to block the sun.
1: Classic supervillain
0: move. So the sun's blocked, so nuclear man powers down, and he drops Lacey there in space, but she falls to Earth, Superman catches her, and she disappears from the rest of the movie. Deleted scene number three. Not as big of a scene, but it's at least a scene between Lacey and Clark with her saying goodbye and him offering... His family's farm for her to buy because she's talking about wanting to get away from this crazy lifestyle. It's the only reason
1: why his farm being up for sale even needs to be in this movie. The main reason to go to the farm was to get that Kryptonian power crystal. Yeah. So then Superman catches Lacy, and then he just flies Nuclear Man to a nuclear reactor and throws him yeah into
0: an open reactor.
1: I am of the unscientific opinion that dropping nuclear man into a nuclear reactor would not have a positive result.
0: Oh, I 100% agree that that shit would have gone boom.
1: Free power for the entire eastern (laughs) seaboard. It's very Silver Agey. You'd think, like, Superman's main thing is protecting the most amount of people possible at all times. It's it's always a utilitarian mindset. And then the motherfucker drops a nuclear guy (laughs) into a reactor. Yup. Also, killing him. Yeah, although maybe the morals of that are a little grayer because Lex Luthor created him, Eh. as opposed to him being a sentient being. Yeah, he's... I know, I'm just trying to justify a murder. It's fine. Yeah, he is slightly under Lex Luthor's control. I mean, really, if anything, it's like Superman killing a shitty clone of himself because this was all made from his hair in the first place. (laughs) It's his right. I just realized another legacy this movie has. When they steal the hair from the museum, that's like when Killmonger stole the vibranium from the museum in Black Panther. (laughs) I will say Black Panther might have done it better, though. Uh, And then
0: Superman closes out the movie with a speech about evils and trials of mankind.
1: Again, in front of the totally real UN building.
0: (laughs) Yes. So, deleted ending. Superman flies to jeremy's school again picks up jeremy it's like i gotta show you something does he drop him into a reactor might as well he flies jeremy into outer space but unfortunately he lives and very nail on the head tells jeremy what do you see jeremy replies i just see mountains and water and land just the earth and superman says good that's how I see it. Go back and tell everybody that.
1: And that's how the movie ends. You've ruined this for everyone, Jeremy. <laughs> Final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I've been interested in nuclear disarmament, just like historically the movement for it and against it and mm-hmm. progress made or not made. And... I was kind of frustrated because the only part of this movie I had seen was Superman's initial speech to the UN promoting disarmament, which is also, jokes aside, one of the positive legacies of this movie. It's it's a good speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of the movie is kind of a letdown as far as exploring this theme of interventionism on the nuke stuff, because Superman really briefly thinks about nuclear disarmament and then immediately goes about doing it and does it pretty quickly. Uh, side note, I am very amused at the idea of him collecting all of the nukes in a giant space net. <laughs> H- hilarious. Very nice touch. Yeah. Very comic booky. But then later, Superman decides that it's not his place to do stuff like this. And then at the end, as you mentioned, he gives that speech at the UN again where he's like, good or evil, we are what we are. I can't jump in and decide. It's up to you guys to do it yourselves. And then there just are no consequences for either tack Superman takes. The benefits are platitudinal, makes its point about peace and disarmament, Mm -hmm. makes its point about non-interventionism, but there are no consequences for either side, and it's just too bad because this is an interesting idea to explore, and it could have added a lot of tension to the movie without having to come up with some bad CGI villain with long nails uh, if they'd gone beyond the surface of this issue to show the painful gray areas of it. What if Superman disarmed a small nuclear country that needs those weapons as a deterrent to invasion? Or what if he disarmed the Soviet Union and that led to a coup against the premier from the military? Hmm. You know, stuff like that. I don't know. But the po- the point is, it, it would have been better than watching him slowly grapple with nuclear man on the moon. <laughs> and a big criticism of Superman from people who might not be fans in the first place is that he's boring. He's all powerful. But because of his moral code, there's always the interesting dilemma of how much can he interfere and what are the effects of his intervention? Mm-hmm. All these interesting ideas of ways to explore what an all-powerful being could do in a situation where being all-powerful is not very helpful, then we just have him wrestling on the moon with some guy. It was kind of a letdown because thematically, this movie is far more interesting than it deserves to be. I expected this movie to be really bad, and it's not a good movie, but the seeds were there. And it's a bummer that this one got outsourced to canon because I think, frankly, a lot of the blame can be laid at their feet. It's not a fair ending to the first set of Superman movies.
0: Yeah. I like to think of alternate dimensions, like string Mm -hmm. theory alternate dimensions. You know, every decision that can be made, there's a dimension where that decision was made.
1: A dimension where all four of these were directed
0: by Richard Donner. (laughs) There is that, I guess, but I was more thinking there is a dimension
1: where Canon actually made their Spider-Man movie. Ooh. Go read about that, kids. I thought the Superman's mom voiceover stuff was kind of weird because in previous films, even in this film, we have Kryptonian technology serving as a literal device to provide the voiceover. If it's not on screen, then the voiceover is coming from a Kryptonian device. Mm -hmm. But here it's almost as if he's just thinking about what she's saying or it's it's sort of an unconnected to what's happening on screen voiceover in a way. Yeah. Because it functions mostly as exposition. Like she either explains something the way she explained the power crystal or she encourages Kal-El in some way, like she does later in the movie, where it's not happening in the moment, but it's meant to help the audience. Yeah. And I just wasn't a fan, because of that precedent in earlier movies, of it all being from technology, from Krypton, the crystals, or the vessel that he came, whatever. Yeah, it sounds more like he's
0: having a memory.
1: Yeah, almost. And uh, despite the sad nature of this being the final live-action, Lois and Clark from Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder both of whom are pretty much still the pinnacles of casting for those characters. It's just sad because the technical precision, the emotional payoffs, and the contextual success of their scenes together work within the film, but are all just a reminder that this movie doesn't deserve those scenes, and those scenes don't deserve this movie. But I don't know, if you squint your eyes and suffer some mild brain damage, you can (laughs) just pretend it all happened in Superman 3 or something.
0: Ah, Superman 3. We'll have fun with that one.
1: Well... I think we've uh we've probably gone above and beyond the Call of Duty as far as trying to interpret a film of this caliber goes. <laughs> so, uh what is your favorite thing about this movie? I
0: just like the look and concept slash theory of the nuclear man. Hmm. It it's sort of uh I think of it as Captain Planet versus Captain Pollution. It's <laughs> it's this negative version of superman to a point that nuclear power represents this gross evil thing that's here to kill this good
1: bright thing Mm -hmm. how about you yeah it is a bummer that they just throw all these interesting things into the mix and then utterly fail to explore them in a meaningful way yeah um my favorite thing was I mean, really, my synopsis kind of covered it. Just the fact that Superman, the first film, being the godfather to future comic book movies, is is a legacy. But this movie really influenced other movies. <laughs> if really you really try to stretch it, yeah. But uh, digging around aside, I think the fact that they managed to bring back all of the principal cast members from the first movie is huge. Uh, none none of them phoned it in, even though they yeah. really all could have, and I would not have blamed them a bit. Yeah, um, they all still inhabit the roles well better than they did the first time even in some instances Mm -hmm. and the coup the utter coup of bringing back gene hackman as lex Luthor for reasons that make no sense to anyone involved is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself the fact that all of the folks came back and the fact that they all brought their a-game doesn't save this movie but it certainly elevates it and we're all the better for it yeah it's not good but it's not not worth your time there's a few fun things about it yeah well If you don't believe in the power of producers, just keep in mind that Alexander and Ilya Salkind, for all the blemishes that the first three Superman movies might have, Mm -hmm. they had a concept and a vision for that concept, and they followed through. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I think one of the saddest legacies of this is that the comic adaptation of it is one of the last Superman comics that Kurt Swan, one of the most legendary Superman illustrators, ever did.
0: Oh, That is tragic.
1: Yeah, Kurt Swan deserved better, and so did we. (laughs) Um, How would you fix this movie? As much as you can fix this movie, those
0: three deleted scenes I talked about, this movie would still be garbage, but the scene of Nuclear Man going to kidnap Lacey and then Superman showing up alive and well, it's a huge plot point. Massive. They filmed it. Yeah. Just stick those
1: in. So basically, uh, ultimate edition it? <laughs> yes. How about you? Um. Don't give canon the <laughs> rights to do this. But no, specifically, just kind of scrap the third act. I mean, don't pinch pennies. It just showed up the most in the third act. Mm-hmm. But a blockbuster film is really pointless if you're cutting corners in special effects. If you wanna make a Superman movie without a lot of special effects, you can do that. Focus on him as a journalist. Feature some humanitarian crises that involve practical non-sci-fi complications. And they even went down that path a little with the nuclear interventionism and Warfield picking up the Daily Planet, those subplots. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that the budget's gonna be low already while you're in pre-production, you can plan for that. And instead, they made a movie with all sorts of huge-scale fighting, flying around in space. Just The third act of the movie is just watching two actors slowly drift across the screen and occasionally grapple before doing public access level green screen stuff. It was like watching two different movies at times with the production values where Clark's walking around the Daily Planet with Jimmy and Lois and it almost looks like Superman 1 or 2. Yeah. Though everything I just said does boil down to don't give the rights <laughs> to canon. Yeah. I will caveat this because we didn't really talk about canon much outside of the context of Superman and the studio, but Mm -hmm. they made some really fun, goofy-ass movies in the 80s. Yes, absolutely. They certainly had a a niche that they did well. This just was very far outside of that niche. They had no business getting involved in this. Well, can we uh, move on from this forever? (laughs) We can at least move on from this, but we still have Superman 3 on the horizon. I have a feeling that I'll appreciate it more now. More than likely. So take us home. We'd like to thank Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics for designing our logo, which is also a very appropriate one to bring up for this film. Yeah. And uh, if you need any graphic design work done, look her up. And if you want to catch some deleted scenes that may or may not be on YouTube, follow us on Twitter at Snark Knights Pod. I'm sure Luke will pass on anything he finds there. Mm hmm. And if you have any long-form complaints in defense of this film, please email us at snarknightspod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And now my favorite part of this whole affair, Luke's going to shake a hat filled with pieces of paper in it with the names of comic book movies on them so we can see what possible gem the universe has for us next time. I got the cure for what ails you. Join us next time as we talk about 2016's Deadpool. Oh, man. That's actually kind of fitting because it came out almost exactly three years ago yeah yeah that's right the val they had all the
0: valentine's day promotion stuff good memory yep so we'll be back with deadpool and until then i apologize for nothing